0: The scripture reading today is from Genesis 12, 1-3 and Matthew 16, 13-19. The first reading from Genesis tells of God's choosing Abraham to be the instrument through whom God would bless all peoples on earth. The second reading tells us of Jesus' choosing Peter upon whom he would build his church as an instrument for God's kingdom from Matthew 16, 13 to 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah the son of the living God, Jesus replied. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wherever you bind... Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven." The word of the Lord.
1: Two weeks ago, our facility served as a home away from home for various people some members some visitors but all came for shelter after being evacuated from the firestorm and then late one evening we were told that the church building itself was within an advisory evacuation zone the 30 of us here huddled together and made an evacuation plan but decided to wait and see if the call moved to the mandatory stage. And then when I was alone later, my thoughts turned to what from the church building may need to be preserved. Even without the threat of a destructive fire, people across the country have asked something similar. How do we preserve the church? with declining numbers, decreased giving, lack of attraction for the millennial generation, and a drastically changing culture, how do we help the church survive? While I understand why we ask such a question, I think it's the wrong one to be asking. It reflects a poor theology of what the church is and a misunderstanding Of our purpose. The church is not a social entity we must hold together, nor a civic landmark that has to be preserved. We didn't form the church the way we do a social club of like-minded friends with common interests or shared goals. The church is not a trade union, a PEO chapter, or a Rotarian group. The church was never our idea. It was Jesus' idea. The church belongs to him. And it was Jesus who called us to follow him and to be his church. It's not our church which needs to be preserved, nor our way of doing church. Jesus told Peter he was the rock upon which Quote, I will build my church. End quote. The church does not belong to Peter or his successors or any other church group. Peter had the honor of being the first stone, but as Paul will tell us later and remind us over and over again, Christ alone is the church's foundation. So integral to this nature of the church is the fact that Jesus calls it into being. The Greek word for church means called out, not called away from the world, but called with a sense of purpose and identity, the way Abraham was called by God to be a blessing so that others around him might be blessed. And the way Jesus called his disciples who were fishermen to consider catching people instead of fish. A call that was something more than the routines they followed. Something that would stir their hearts beyond drawing a paycheck. Something extraordinary and life-giving. Some want to see the church be more like its first century version as if there were no problems back then. We forget the early church is similar to today's church in that it's comprised of human beings like you and me. People with a mixture of cowardice and guts, of intelligence and ignorance, of selfishness and generosity, of openness, of heart, and obstinance. This was what Jesus had to work with. It was equally true then as it is today. Knowing we're made right with God by faith in Christ, knowing God's Spirit indwells us, knowing the difference between right and wrong, knowing that we've been commanded to love, to forgive, to make peace, we still continue to bear the Uh, the marks of strengths and weaknesses of what it means to be human. Jesus spoke of the word church only two times in all of the Gospels, and both occur in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 16 and chapter 18. But Jesus, in contrast, spoke of the kingdom of God in the book of Matthew alone 85 times. Now, in Matthew's Gospel, he avoids the attribution to God and says, kingdom of heaven. Uh, It was very Jewish to, to simply hint at God by referring to the place of God's dwelling and rule. Knowing the relationship of the church to the kingdom of God is absolutely essential to understanding who we are. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus said, which means that life at its most mom- uh, monotonous, back-breaking, heart-numbing moments still occurs in God's time and in God's presence. The kingdom of God with its sense of holiness and goodness and beauty is what draws us, what we long for without knowing what it is. What we pray for without knowing the words to say. What we dream of. The place where we belong. The announcement of God's rule and presence was directed and the scope of it given to the world. It was not to the church that Jesus preached, it was to the world. And the kingdom of God, the rule of God, and the blessings that come with that rule is for all to experience. So it's a mistake to ever equate the church with the kingdom. The church is not the kingdom. It is the instrument of God to point to the kingdom and to pronounce it and proclaim it. It serves as a mission post that helps people be aware that God is present in this world, that God's kingdom has come, and that we can see evidence of it. Be the light of the world, Jesus said. Where you find dark places, be God's light there. Be the salt of the earth. Bring out the true flavor of what it is to be alive, truly alive to God and all that is good. Be life givers. That is what Jesus desires of his church demonstrate God's love, heal the sick, care for those in need. If the church is doing things like that, then it's being what Jesus intended it to be. If it's doing things, if it's not doing things like that, no matter how many other good and useful things it is doing, then it's not being what Jesus intended. We're called to love each other the way Jesus says, God loves us. How are we doing? How deeply do you comprehend and experience God's love? It should be evident in the way we love. That is the heart of the gospel. Having experienced what it means to be loved, we then learn how to love God in return and love one another. I'm okay if she's okay. (laughs) That is what the kingdom of God is all about. And that is what the church is called to look like. It doesn't mean the church is perfect because it includes people... Who are dishonest greedy and tainted by envy and fear they attend one of the other services <laughs> but it also includes people who are hopeful good and kind <laughs> some of us carry shame and guilt For the second time, I heard someone speak of their guilt, of their home surviving, knowing so many others whose homes did not. We are a people, some of whom are accepting and nonjudgmental, but others who are quick to point out shortcomings and faults. But alongside them are people who pray for mercy, enough to go around. Like it or not, we are family. And that's what Jesus intends his church to be. Our own happiness is mixed up with one another's happiness and our own peace with each other's peace. And then beyond these walls, our own happiness and peace is never going to be complete until we find some way of sharing it with people who lack it entirely, who live without happiness and have never known the meaning of peace. Next week, is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, a time we celebrate of the church being renewed and revitalized. Berndt and Mary Hopper just have come from there. Um, But if you go back and look, that time was not without conflict, Struggle and loss of life. People mistrusted one another. They believed in their revelation that God had given them and they did not believe in anyone else's version of it. It was a time of chaos. We think it's all, it separated the Catholics and the Protestants and it was all homogeneous. Far from it. And then historians tell us that they've observed that about every 500 years, the church does this. It goes through yet another reformation. Could it be that's what's happening today? And if so, would we recognize it? Would we affirm it and feel a part of it? Or will we reject it? Think about what the printing press was to the Reformation and how it fueled the the expanse and the and the and the uh, how it caught fi- oh I should, I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that uh, how it every word I think of is wrong um, how it expanded rapidly, and what the printing press was. To the advancement of the Reformation, the internet has become both a blessing and curse of today's communication of the gospel and, and realization of church. Add to that the shifting away from denominational distinctives and loyalty and this wider acceptance of traditions. If you were to think of traditions in four quadrants, you would have the Roman Catholics, you would have the mainline churches, you would have the Pentecostal churches, and then the Anabaptist churches. And what's happened in so many people today is they've moved around. They've embraced a different tradition along the way. They don't stay in any one place. There's an appreciation for what each one brings, the mystery of the Catholic Church, the the freedom in um, in the Anabaptist church, the um, on and on. And yet, what's happened is the, these people keep moving, and there's this centrifugal force, and in the center is Jesus, and the focus is on Him. They care less and less about what our church is like or not like. They just want to grow in relationship to Jesus, and it's, a, it's this movement that's happening. And then what happens is people that are used to what their tradition is, they retreat into the corners, into the trenches and say, that's not the Christianity I know. That's not the Jesus I know. We only worship this way. I've been exposed to multiple sources that have confirmed for me there is a new wave of God's Spirit spreading throughout our country that's attracting millennials in large numbers. Gatherings referred to as The Call, Awaken the Dawn, Azusa have happened in places like Washington, D.C., Reading, and Los Angeles. They're characterized by an unmistakable excitement. In fact, the people I've talked to, I have to back up because the intensity with which they tell me about this is so strong. It also has this charismatic enthusiasm for Jesus. and an emphasis on the Holy Spirit's power. They love to quote 1 Corinthians 4.20, The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So they come with an expectation to see a divine manifestation of God every time they get together. And worship spans a 24-hour period with messages of repentance, reconciliation, and a call for unity. The supernatural manifestations might include healing or prophesying, but more often than any other is this word of knowledge where someone will be prayed for, and God will give the person praying a word of knowledge about that individual. I know that you and your boyfriend are breaking up, and it's causing you great pain. But God loves you, and he's present for you, and he's going to see you through this. And the person opens their eyes and says, how do you know that? Evangelism becomes a natural spillover of these events, and people go out from their telling of what they've seen and heard, and others pay attention to what they're saying because of the, the sense of, a, of being in the presence of God. They tell others that God is real, that God is personal, and He wants to heal you. And they emphasize God's love for people. Now, I'll admit, the first time I heard of this, I felt defensive. The person telling me knew I was a pastor, never once asked about our church, never once wanted to know anything about me. He just wanted to talk about his experience. But I've met two other people since then, one of whom... I believe God sent to me this week and talked to me about it. It is a new Jesus movement. And I want to be open and appreciate how this wave of God's Spirit is growing. I want to affirm what I may not choose or be inclined to pursue myself. You have heard us talk about the fact that we sing a song, the song we sing, Great, Great Are You, Lord. I was at a prayer meeting the other night of, of people who are um, of this kind of worship style. And I told Chris, we sang that song for 12 minutes. Um, and I just thought, wow, how long is this going to be? Meanwhile, people are shouting and clapping and cheering and calling out like they were at a concert or a ball game. I, I like my worship a little more... Um, Presbyterian. Presbyterian. <laughs> hmm. But in this movement, I see important markers of the true reflection of Jesus' church. Namely, the presence and influence of the Holy Spirit. If we talk about the church being reformed, we don't do the reforming God does. A commitment to be God's new community. And that's where I think we have something to offer and teach. and a conviction to engage in evangelism and mission that has a contagious quality that is unmistakable. We don't need to preserve the church. Christ will do that. We need to be the church He intends us to be. Amen. Amen.